This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Hallelujah. So, um, uh, as uh, Kuda and Pastor Karen rightfully pointed out, um, the word of the year is available in the, in the bookstore, in the booklet form. One of the things Pastor Tom shared in the word of the year, he says this year, uh, it's important for you to get that word and go through it over and over again. There are two prayers that Pastor Tom prayed in that word that are important for us to keep looking at and reflecting on uh, throughout the year. It's a prayer. One is a prayer of repentance and uh, one is a covenant that we then make with God in terms of what he wants to accomplish in this season. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and get that. But I want to start off by quoting something Pastor Tom said. We're fasting and praying in our season of fast and praying uh, right now. I want to quote just something he said from the 2020 word. And, uh, and then I'll give you the title of the message this morning. Uh, Pastor Tom said this. He said, we will begin to see a, resur- a resurgence of prayer and intercession like never before. As we reset family altars and altars of prayer in our churches. We must tear down altars of Baal in our nation, replacing them with prayer to the Almighty God. In so doing, we'll see a decade of returning to the Almighty uh, and and revival in the land that will lead to the reformation we've all hoped for. How many of you have hoped for a reformation within this land? I believe we'll begin to see it, but there a couple of things there that Pastor Tom says we should focus on. And we want to focus on them, if you could put those three things up uh, as we fast and pray in this season. Firstly, he says we must focus on repairing family altars of prayer. So uh, we're going to be praying in this season of prayer and fasting. We're going to be praying in our families. Uh, if you don't have devotional time as a family, I would recommend that we, you institute one if you're in a family. Or if you're not yet in a family... Uh, you can be in your cell, but we're going to be praying in ourselves as cell families. So that's the first thing we'll be doing. We'll be encouraging families to set aside time to pray together throughout this fasting period. And then uh, what we'd like to do as you begin to do that and develop that habit is something that you would carry on throughout the rest of the year. Secondly, as uh, our facilitators this morning mentioned, we'll be praying uh, three times a day uh, uh, as a church. Pastor mentioned that we repair the altar of prayer as well within the church. Uh, using the, the first time is at 6.30 in the morning, domain prayer every morning between 6.30 and 7.30, uh, we'll be praying. And then at lunchtime between 1 and 2, we'll be praying in the, in the prayer room. And then in the evening between 6 and 7. Now, uh, as mentioned, there's a roster that's been circulated. These are within the districts, within the cell groups, the times that have been allocated for us to pray. And if you do not know uh, what districts you belong to, we've divided Arara into seven districts. Um, if you do not know what district you belong to, uh, as they've said, you can log on to uh, our Facebook page. There's information there. And last week, we also gave you a WhatsApp number where information has been sent, where you can easily pick up where you live and what district you're in and what your prayer slot is. We want to encourage you to come and pray uh, with the rest of your district here. Or if you don't want to go through that whole hassle, just come at any one of those three prayer times, either at 6.30 or 7.30 in the morning at lunchtime 
or for the evening time prayer. Then the third thing we want to do is actively involve ourselves in doing what is at the center of God's heart. And that is clearly spelled out in Isaiah 58. If we're praying, if we're fasting and not praying, we're just going hungry. If we're fasting and praying and not doing, then we're just wishing. Because there's a way that God has outlined for us to fast and pray. And that fasting and prayer has got action to it. And this morning I want to help you go through what God says about prayer and prayer and fasting in Isaiah 58. So, the title of the message this morning is The Fast the Lord Has Chosen. And that's a bit confusing. It says, do not ignore your own flesh. I thought when we were fasting, we were ignoring our flesh. But this morning, I want to show you that God does not want you to ignore your own flesh when fasting takes place. But it's not in the way we think. It's in the way God thinks. So having said that, turn your Bibles to Isaiah 58. I was speaking to you, while you open your Bibles to Isaiah 58, I was speaking to Pastor Tom yesterday. He sends his love and his greetings. They are with uh, Grandpa Deschel in Colorado. Uh, I've been getting some notes from him and some notes from Pastor Bonnie. Uh, some of what I'm going to go through today is from those notes and some of the clips that we've watched online. Um, but they send their greetings and they can't wait to be with you this coming week. If you're on Isaiah 58, say uh-huh. So, the context here, let me just give the context. This is the prophet Isaiah. He's um, uh, speaking to the nation of Israel. And I, I don't want to start from the top. I want to start from uh, probably verse 3, verse 2, sorry, and then uh, read up to verse 11. And then we're going to break down the word of God. Right. So, here's, what, here's, here's the question the people asked God. They said to God, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Hmm. How many of us have fasted and felt sometimes like, ooh, has God even heard me as he answered our prayer when I fasted? How many have fasted and seen everything they have fasted for? How many of you would not raise your hand or, or acknowledge anything I say, whatever I say, Okay, nudge your neighbor. Say neighbor. Say Pastor Taz is going to need your help today. He needs you to respond. Say amen. Aha. Ndizo. Kanawabaiwa. Maiwi. Okay. So they say, why, why, why have we fasted? They say. They say to God, have you not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no not notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. This is God responding through his prophet. And you exploit your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. 
How many of you know a lot of debate is going on right now about what to eat and what not to eat? I can't believe what's going on in the WhatsApp groups. Daniel's fast is not Jiwamate, but Daniel's fast is fish. Fish is vegetable. Vegetables are... And then we even had a proclamation saying, eat vegetables, eat gai muriwo. <laughs> Potatoes are vegetables. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> he says, you will not fast as you did this day. To make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? This is God speaking. A day for, for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread the sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? Hmm. An acceptable day to the Lord? Is it not the fast that I have chosen? Is this not the fast that I've chosen? So God now is beginning to outline the fast that he has chosen. He says to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring your house to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Underline that and turn to your neighbor and say, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Another version says, do not ignore your own flesh and blood. Then it says, listen to the promises, listen to what happens. When we do a fast according to how God has chosen a fast to be done. He says, then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will, uh, will answer. You shall cry and you'll say, here I am. How many, of you want us to, how many of us want to hear the Lord say, here I am? How many of us want the Lord to answer our prayers in this season? He's given us a formula. He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy your soul in drought. Hmm. And strengthen your bones. You shall be like the watered garden and be like the spring of water, whose waters never fail. Those from among you shall build old waste places. You shall raise up foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Oh, sorry. This, the store of the portals, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The context of these scriptures here is the fact 
that when Isaiah was writing, he was writing to God's people. He was writing to the Jewish nation. He was instructing the Jewish nation and its people who were regular and diligent in the observance of external duties of religion. And somehow, because they felt they were observing these duties, they were diligently doing these ordinances, that divine favor would come upon them, that they would receive divine, and these were the grounds for divine favor. The prophet states the reason why these excessive and punctual religious duties had not been accepted or followed with divine favor and blessing. The ordinances, rites, and religious practices had everything to do with what the people wanted, not what God wanted. They were there to make themselves feel good about themselves, not necessarily right with God. They were there for them to tick a box of what they've done, not necessarily pursue obeying what God stated. In today's Bible reading in Acts, Peter and the apostles state that we must obey God and not man. I want to declare that in this season, we must obey God and not man. If Isaiah were writing to us today, he'd be saying, celebration church. Where are the results you're looking for? Every year you start off with a 21-day fast. Has it just become a routine, a religion? Or it's something you occasionally do, a box that you tick and then say, Lord, now I'm expecting my favor. I'm expecting my blessing. Celebration church, you do this year after year. Then you say, God, why do we fast? Why do we afflict our souls before you and you not hear us? Year after year. It doesn't seem to be getting better, it seems to be getting worse. You'd say, Celebration Church, are you satisfying yourself by making yourselves feel good? Saying, well, I went through the 21 days of fasting. I didn't touch any meat. I didn't touch even my timber. I didn't touch even fish. I didn't. And you tick the box of the things you missed out, but you miss out on the most important thing, which is obeying God himself. He's saying, are you doing this to make yourselves feel good or to make yourselves right with me? The fast that God has chosen is clear. In fact, when I look at that fast, it has got nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with my response to my neighbor. He says the kind of fast that I have chosen is that you loose the bonds of wickedness. Put that up. You lose the bonds of weakness. Number two, you undo the heavy burdens. Number three, you let the oppressed go free. Number four, you share your bread with the hungry. Number five, bring to your house the poor who have been cast out. Number six, when you see the naked that you clothe them. Number seven, you break every yoke. 
You stop pointing the finger and you stop speaking wickedly. That, that's the fast God has chosen. Why is that the fast that he's chosen? Because the fast that God chooses for us to do has got nothing to do with our pleas, but everything to do with his kingdom coming. The fast is about the kingdom of God manifesting on earth. God is looking for the righteous to stand in place so his will may be done on earth. His will may be evident on a day-to-day basis. God is looking to intervene in the affairs of man and his will to be done. Fasting has more to do with God's will being done on earth and his heart's desires being made evident in our lives than our own will being done and our desires being evident. So what are God's desires? The word of God made flesh is Jesus Christ. was personified in Jesus Christ himself. And when you turn three chapters over into Isaiah 61, where you look at the Bible, where it tells us the purpose of Jesus coming and what Jesus was anointed for. The Bible, the mirror with the things, seven things that God has written in Isaiah 58 are shocking. He says, I have been, the spirit of God is upon me. It has anointed me to what? Bring good news to the poor. There's God's heart for the poor. To bring healing to the brokenhearted. There's God's heart for those that are cast out, those that are hurting, those that are in pain. To bring, uh, to declare uh, freedom to those in captivity. There's God's heart for those who are oppressed to be free. To declare freedom to the prisoner. There's his heart again. And he says, when we've done all these things, we can proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. The similarities are striking. So our fasting has got a lot, has got a lot to do with loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And it's got to do that practically. Not just in word, not just, hey, I love you. But it's got, to, it's got to be evident in our practical deeds. You and I, when we fast, demonstrate the love of God. We're literally saying, when we fast, we are hiding ourselves. We're dying to ourselves so that God in us may arise. And when God in us arise, it's impossible for God in us to arise without the heart of God being evident. So God says, in verse 6, he says, And that thou hide not thyself from your own flesh. What is he talking about when he says your own flesh? He's talking about your own kindred, your own relations, people that are dependent on you, people that look up to you, people that would say, hey, we have God's people amongst us, those that are less privileged. 
To hide oneself denotes us not ignoring, turning a blind eye, putting our heads in the sand and ignoring the issues that affect people around us, the issues that affect our family members around us, the issues that affect our brothers and sisters in the church around us. It requires that we treat our relatives of whatever rank, social status, with kindness and affection. The same kindness and affection that God would show. And show the providence of God to those people. So what this is literally saying is, Taz, when you fast, it's not really about you. Can you demonstrate my heart to your surroundings? Can you demonstrate my heart to your relatives? Can you demonstrate my heart to your family? Can you demonstrate my heart to your church family? And God calls that your flesh, your own flesh, your flesh and blood. So he says, do not ignore your own flesh. When you fast, do not ignore your own flesh. Your own flesh is not you. Your own flesh is those that are joined to you by flesh and blood. And that includes relatives and your church family. You and I are joined together by flesh because the Bible says we are the body of Christ. We are joined together by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought at a price. We blood. You and I are blood. We blood family. We got the same kind of blood. If you look at your blood type and my blood type, it's the same. It's the Jesus blood. So you're my flesh and blood. You're my own flesh. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're my flesh. You're my own flesh. Neighbor, you're my blood. You're my own blood. So prayer and fasting summed up is a declaration saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not a revelation of your agenda. Fasting is an opportunity to take God's heart. It's not just about pouring your heart out to God. It is about God's heart being poured out into you. When you fast and pray, it is about you and I decreasing so that there's more of God seen and evident in us. When we fast, we're decreasing more and more in our own nature so that God's nature may increase in us more and more. It, there's no way we can fast without there being practical evidence of our fasting. And the practical evidence is not your sullen faces. It is not the complaining about us not eating meat. It is not us setting a date that on the 24th you are going to see and plan the ribs and the steaks. That you, that's not the practical evidence God's looking for. It is not about you outlining what you're eating and not eating. 
In fact, in the Bible days, they felt fasting needed to be shown by how sad you looked. Jesus said, that's not the fast that I'm looking for. The fast that you're looking for should be evident before God, not man. Your sullenness, our sullenness must be evident before God, not man. He says, in fact, man should see you cheered up because you're going to be a reflection of God's face. But you're humble, you're downcast, you're broken before God. And that's the only audience we're broken before. No, let them hear say, ooh, what's happening with the guy at, at work? What's happening with the guy from Salem? He's so sad these days. He's not getting his fill of coffee. He's not getting his fill of meat. He's sullen in the office. He's complaining. He's cussing his church because of, uh, and, and they make us do, and this and this and that. He says, no, 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 no. no. In your workplace, they should be seeing more of God. So you have a radar in your workplace that's saying, who are the brokenhearted here? God, there's an opportunity for me to minister. You have a radar in your workplace that's saying, man, who are the sick here? I'm going to be praying for them. Who are the downcast here? I'm going to be praying. Who are the downtrodden here? I'm going to be ministering to them. Who are the hungry? Who is it in my office that always seems to be behind the desk at lunchtime? because they don't have enough to have lunch. You are the one that's going to share your bread. Go and give them bread to eat. And then in that time, they're going to say, there's something different about brother or sister so-and-so. Because they're seeing the goodness of God, not just on you, but in the practical acts and things that you do. Our neighbors in this season must be saying there's something different about my neighbor. We're keeping our meat frozen till the 24th. <laughs> what would it look like if you took those frozen chickens and went to the four or five neighbors and gave a chicken, a chicken, a chicken, a chicken, a chicken? And you just said, you know, I think I just sense God say he remembers you in this season. What would happen if we looked out for our relatives that we know are struggling? Your relatives in Epworth, Mbari, wherever, that you know are eating muriwo. And you take your frozen meat to them. And you not only minister physically, but you minister spiritually to them. God's saying in this season, I want my heart to be seen through you. So there is practical evidence to our fasting in this season. And that practical, the things we do practically in obedience to the word of God, give a spiritual release of favor upon your life. That's how your needs are met. I want to give you an example. Moses, in Exodus 17, is up on the mountain. He's got his hands up as a physical sign of obedience to God. As long as he has his hands up, they're winning the battle in the valley. But when he's tired and his hands come down, they begin to lose the battle. Aaron and her get on the other side of him and keep his hands up. 
The keeping of his hands up was a physical sign of obedience that brought about a spiritual release in the battle in the valley. I want to declare that our physical obedience in this season, however small, will bring about a spiritual release of victory in the battles that we face. In the modern church, everything now is not driven by obedience, it's driven by feeling. Oh, oh, I feel humble. I feel. I don't, I don't need to demonstrate how humble I am before God. I don't need to kneel or bow. I feel it on me every single time. I don't need to worship, lift my hands when it's worship time because God knows I love him on the inside. Hmm. I tried that with my wife. <laughs> Baby, you know I love you. No need for me to show it physically or practically. You don't need to see any acts of kindness. You don't need to see any acts of gentleness, any acts of affection. Why? I said it on our wedding day. I love you. See how that works. But yet we want to do that before God. We say, hey, hey, it's how I feel. We're lying to ourselves. Fasting does not move God. If you're fasting because you're thinking, oh, I want to move God, I want God to intervene in our situation. No, 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 no. Fasting does not move God towards your agenda. Fasting moves you towards God's agenda. Daniel 10. Thank you. Daniel 10. If you could turn there. We're going to read from there. So most times when we fast, we're motivated by personal gain. Is this the fast that God is looking for? When we enter into a fast, it's what I can benefit individually. Bible says that in Daniel 10, verse 3, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was also Balthazar. The message was true, but the, appointment, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning, underline the word mourning, for three weeks. Ate no pleasant food, underline ate no pleasant food. No meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till these three weeks were fulfilled. First thing we note there, Daniel says, I mourned, I ate no pleasant food. Why was Daniel mourning? The fast that Daniel was observing was evidently on the account of the state of the nation of Israel, the state of God's people. He was fasting because of their sin and their captivity. 
His agenda was bigger than himself, even though he was a part of the captivity, even though he was a part of the oppression, even though he was a part of the suffering that was taking place. Daniel was moved to fast and humble himself before God because of what he felt for his brothers and sisters. What Pastor Tom was saying, what makes you cry? He says, I ate no pleasant food and no desirable food came to my mouth. He denied himself pleasure and comfort. Then in verse 10, listen to what happens. He says, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Say, greatly beloved. How many of us would like to be greatly beloved of God? Hmm. He says, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand up straight. For I have now been sent to you. While I was speaking this word, while you are speaking this word, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before the Lord, your words were heard. Your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I, have been, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for, your vision, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. There are certain things that we can pick up from those scriptures. Firstly, when we fast, set your heart to understand. You are not saying, God, understand my agenda. You are saying, God, I want to understand your agenda for the things we face. Fasting is setting our hearts to understand his perspective. It's being humble enough to lay down our opinions, our desires, our perspectives, our way of seeing things to take up his opinions, his perspective, and his way of seeing things. It is from this posture that we become desirable to God. The next piece of scripture, it says, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved or desired by God. I want us to understand we are all loved by God. God's love is unconditional. <laughs> but his desire and favor and blessing is very conditional. It's conditional on us obeying him. So Daniel when he denied himself the pleasures of this earth, when he took on a cause or when he took on the heart of God, when he had a care for people and God's people, the same kind of care that God had, he became very desirable to God. How many would like to be very desirable to God? How many would like you to say, oh, John, greatly desired of God? Oh, Sherry, greatly desired of God. Oh, Mary, greatly desired of God. Oh, Takudzwa, greatly desired of God. Oh, Tom, greatly desired of God. Oh, Nancy, greatly desired of God. 
Daniel himself ate no desirable food and gave up what he desired. The Bible says, as he gave up what he desired, he gained what God desired. He became desirable to God. Whew. Jesus teaches us this principle in Matthew 16. You remember the story was just after Peter gives the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Then after that, uh, Jesus starts to talk about it and say, well, you know, uh, this is the reason I've come. I've come to die for you all, and in a few days I'm going to die. Peter says, what? <laughs> what? You ain't going to die. I ain't going to let you die. Have you seen what my life looks like since you came? I was a fisherman. Now the guys know me in the streets. <laughs> I couldn't catch one fish since you came. I got a boatload of fish. Even you declared upon the revelation, I'm getting you going to build the church. You ain't going nowhere, Jesus. Because when you're around, I'm comfortable. Jesus says, get ye behind me, Satan. In fact, the New Living Translation says this. It says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things purely from a human being perspective. A human being point of view and not God's point of view. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. Peter was focused on comforts and having Jesus around and seeing things from his perspective. Jesus says his followers cannot be led by seeing things from a human being perspective. It becomes a dangerous trap. When you and I make a conscious decision to lay aside our human being perspective, our perspective or opinions and human beings, only then can we take up God's perspective, a spiritual and high level perspective. When we choose to deny ourselves, that is, surrender our own will to pick up God's will, his kingdom can come. So he says, you can't follow me if you're going to seek your own way. You can't follow me if you're going to seek your own desires. You cannot follow me if you're going to have a human being perspective. In fact, you become very dangerous and it is a trap. But, which is what fasting does. When we come before God and humble ourselves, when we say we're fasting, we're literally saying, Lord, we're surrendering our will. Lord, we're laying down our desires. Lord, we're laying down our opinions to take up yours. Jesus says, if we hang on to life, we'll lose it. But if we lose it, we'll gain it. And therein is the difference. When we do things physically and practically and fast before God with a genuine heart of seeking him, he gives us 
his heart. He reveals to us his heart. We gain understanding of his perspective. We gain understanding of what is to come. We gain understanding of the situations we face. We gain understanding and strategies for the victories we need, for the circumstances we face. Because it is not our opinion that we're taking up to him. We've humbled ourselves to say, your opinion is greater. Your will is greater. And we want to live and walk in it. We want to be obedient. And therein, God's favor can begin to increase in our lives. And that's what Daniel was. He says, you're greatly favored. You're greatly desired of God. I'm going to pour out my favor to you. Now, I want you to understand, God's favor is a gift. We all have it. The gift of salvation in Christ. That's God's favor. He chose us. We didn't choose him. But to have an increase of God's favor and to have its full manifestation manifest in our lives will take our obedience. And our obedience is not in word. Our obedience is in word and deed. So it's not enough for us to say we're fasting and praying. There has to be a doing that is evident to our fasting. In obedience and in alignment to God's word. Then we'll see miracles, opportunities open up. We'll see God's will be done on the earth. You know, Zimbabwe is a population of about 13 million people. Of those 13 million people, the estimations are that about 80% are Christian. Which is probably 10 million people. And uh, as you all know, at the beginning of each year, my 10 days, I don't think I'll my 10 days, my 10 days, my 21 days, my 20, my what days, my 7 days, whatever it is, my 40 days. Oh, these are the daras, the 40 dayers. Oh, it's just we've started my 10 days. Oh, it's just we've, we're doing my 40 days. Oh, and then I'm going on the mountain. I'm going to pray. How many years have we been doing that? Where is the evidence of God's manifestation? Because of our fasting. Where is the evidence? This was just until you on a fast. Where is the rain? No, it's there, it's here. It says, I water you even in a drought. Where is the rain? I'll tell you what, and I'm very guilty of this. We are all fasting selfishly. And our fasts are on our agendas and our terms. Very few of us have taken on God's heart. Very few of us have taken on Daniel's posture. Are weeping before God. Are crying before God. And saying, God! Our nation. Our people. No, where they're saying, God... Job for me, promotion for me, uh, I need a new car. Oh, God, school fees is due. God, fasting hard, school fees for me. Now, in God's eyes, fasting is supposed to shift the spiritual atmosphere. When Daniel fasted, there's a shift because he had a national agenda on his heart. When Joseph had called for a fast, there was a shift in the national battle they were facing. 
because it was national agenda. When Esther fasted, there was a shift in the agenda. God's presence was made felt. God manifested himself. Why? Because in fasting, they touched his heart. They, they, went, they, they, they humbled themselves into his agenda, not climbed up and said, God, come down to my agenda. So where is the manifestation of God? So God writes to us in Isaiah 58 and says, listen, the fasting I require is where you take on my heart. That in the season when you're fasting, and he says, if one man could do it honestly like Daniel did, what more 3,000 from Celebration Church borrowed up? If 3,000 people from Celebration Church borrowed up, let alone Celebration Church International, really humbled themselves, got God's heart, and went about doing acts of kindness. Bible says that, see Jesus, how the Holy Spirit anointed him from high. We went about doing good, freeing all those who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. How many people are being set free because God is with you? How many people are being liberated who are oppressed of, de- of the devil because God is with you? What good works are you going about doing? So that's what he's looking at. He's saying, hey, my, the purpose of you fasting is for me to shift the agenda and make it a kingdom agenda. It's for me to shift the atmosphere and bring my will to the earth. The purpose of you fasting is for me to move in such a way that this earth, this creation, that has an eager expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God, according to the word of God, may begin to see God by what you do. Now, if we're saying God answer our prayer when we are in selfish fasting, we're literally violating a kingdom principle. And Pastor Tom, in the word of the year, calls them witchcraft prayers. We're saying, God, do my will at the expense of your word. God will not do that. What will happen in the atmosphere if 3,000 people made fasting about God and not about them and went about doing what God said they should do. What would happen in our atmosphere? Let let me ask you, what would happen in your workplace if you took God's heart in your workplace? What would happen in your family if you took God's heart in your family? Some of us are fasting and their relatives we won't talk to. God forbid, some of us are fasting and their spouse you won't talk to. Children you won't talk to. And you're saying, God, move. Move on my family. Please, come on. God's saying, hey, my heart is not there. But when we align ourselves with him and we humble ourselves, we can then see the move of God all around us. So the question is over the 21 days, what are you and I going to do to make God visible? Our fasting shouldn't be visible to each other. It should only be visible in the face of God. 
But our acts and our deeds and our obedience must be visible for all men to see. God gives us seven things to do. Seven things I've outlined there. But if you go on and read from verse 10 in Isaiah 58, the benefits, the outcome of that kind of fast, there are 14 promises. 14 plus promises of what God will do. And you you can go through them in your own time and read and study them. But here they are. Here are a few of them. Then your light will break forth in the morning. Healing will come. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be with you and you will be a rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and he will be there and you will say, here I am. Then your light shall break forth in darkness. Darkness shall be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy you, even in drought. You will strengthen your bones. You will make you like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. You will prosper and flourish. You will rebuild broken walls. And then, here's an interesting promise. He says you lay a foundation for generations. <laughs> and then he says, You'll be known as the restorer of the streets. You'll be known as the repairer of the breach. That means your influence will be great, your reputation will be great. The promotion you seek will come. But after you've done those seven things, after we've made this about what can I do for a brother, you know, I've made a decision. In this season of fasting, I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to go about, I'm not even, there's nothing on our prayer list for us. No? I've called my relatives, I've said, what are your prayer needs? I'm going to be praying with you. I've looked for my relatives in distress. I've said, we're going to put that before God, we're going to pray. I'm going to put that in our prayer time. There's some relationships in my relatives I need to get. There's some people I'd say, mm, that one I'll not see. That one is just too much trouble. You know, I've done my best. I'm going to go and knock on their doors again. Why? It's not about me. God wants to manifest himself. Their children, their children that need school fees paid at Compassion. Now is the perfect time to do it. Oh, let our works be evident. Let they be felt everywhere then people would know there's a God. Then he says, I'll respond with those 14 promises for you because you've made me know. So as we close today, I'd like us all to stand to our feet. We're going to take the next five minutes. We're going to pray. I love it. As Christians sometimes when we say we, it's a time for corporate prayer, you find people praying for personal needs for themselves in corporate prayer. This is corporate prayer and fasting. So today what we want to do is we want to take five minutes. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Whichever neighbor is with you. Even if it's your spouse, if you're with your spouse. And say, today, I am going to pray for your prayer needs. 
We're going to pray for each other's prayer needs. We're going to take five minutes. Don't pray for your own prayer needs. Pray for your neighbor's prayer needs. And your neighbor reciprocate and do the same. In this season, find opportunities to be a blessing to someone else, to pray for someone else. The Bible says where two or three gather and agree, Jesus says, there I am. And whatever they ask of me, I'll do of them. So today, be a point of agreement for your neighbor, for Jesus to manifest himself in their lives. So let's take five minutes. Ask, what would you like me to pray for? What would you like us to pray for? Then pray for each other.
begin to round up now. seven points if you need to take a picture stay in your Bible where study those are the things God asks us to do to do his kind of fast to not ignore our own flesh you've just prayed for someone and prayed for their prayer needs. It's a step. And someone has prayed for your prayer needs. That's the kingdom. That's how God takes care of our needs. This is where we've started. This week, I'm hoping you introduce yourself to your neighbor. And if you know them, great. They've told you their prayer need. This week, find it in your heart to continue to petition God for your neighbor to continue to ask God on behalf of their name and trust that they're doing the same for you. Be sensitive to your surroundings to do those seven things. Knowing that our physical obedience here brings about a spiritual release from heaven. Those that are petitioning God for school fees Stop petitioning. Go and pay someone else's fees. Do something. We have 28 children, celebrated children at Iverdale. Go and speak to our compassion office and pay school fees for them. It's probably less than 300 pounds, whatever it is. But let's take God at his word. This entire period of fasting, we're asking you as a church, now, if you know people around you, great. But we're asking us all as a church to remember those who are vulnerable around us, those in need around us. We're in a season and a time in our nation where there's much suffering, much heartache. God must be seen through his people. May there be a manifestation of the true sons of God. So we're asking that in this season, dry groceries. We're going to be opening up our compassion office for you to bring groceries as God moves upon your heart. We normally receive a lot of clothes. People go into there and they find that the easiest thing to do. Go into their closet and get clothes. Fine, we'll take clothes. But more than clothes, may we have an abundance. May we have where there's a drought, may we have an abundance of God's people feeding the vulnerable, clothing the vulnerable, taking care of the needy, visiting those in prison, visiting those in hospitals. We have a hospital ministry, we have a prison ministry. You can sign up and join them. Discuss in cell or any other group that you're in on what you can do. So we've opened up from this week as the offices open up. If you have something, it can be anything. Groceries. Whatever God moves upon your heart to do. 
you bring them here to our compassion office during the week or you come and drop them off at the security desk for compassion ministries we will make sure they get to the right people let's obey God practically in this season may this be about his heart not all thanks for listening for more teachings and videos visit celebrationmen.org